Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I cannot continue this podcast without mentioning that I know there is a lot on our heads and hearts right now around the world, especially with everything going on in Ukraine and the invasion by Russia into Ukraine. I'm not even going to try to stay up to date on this recording because I'm recording a couple days in advance and I just don't know where the world's going to be or what the situation is going to be when you're listening to this, but didn't want to start the podcast without saying that they are in my hearts and minds and I hope that, or my heart and my mind, and hope that if you are in a position to donate to a reputable charity that you are, you have considered that and done that, uh, thoughts and prayers and any kind of support is needed. I mean, really, at the end of the day, we all have our humanity in common, and it is easy to think that things like this wouldn't happen in our country or wherever you live. But I think this is a good example that the only thing that we can be certain about is uncertainty. But I choose to pay most attention to the good news coming out as far as so many different people helping and doing their best. And that's all we can do. So with that, that is the piece I just wanted to get out of the way. I It is hard to just deep dive and talk about fraud when there's so much going on in the world. But at the same time, this type of uncertainty actually increases fraud threats all over the world, especially as more sanctions are coming onto Russia. There's more of a need for Russian-based cyber criminals to monetize their actions. And that is something I am definitely going to be talking about in the next few minutes of this episode, as well as we'll talk about a new or the latest con woman or scammer to get notoriety and fame after inventing Anna and the Tinder swindler came out on Netflix. There's a new one now that's being discussed who actually has a friendship with one of those people or had one anyway. I think they still are friends, but I'll deep dive into that because it's a fascinating story. And actually it has more to do with online crime and fintech crime than any of the other stories. So we'll be deep diving into that. And then if there's time, I'll be talking a little bit about increases in INR inventory, not received fraud, as well as just some of the really cha big challenges for companies that are facing that because of shipping carriers. If there isn't time to talk about that topic today, I will make sure it's top of the list for next Thursday's episode. Before diving into those two topics, though, I just wanted to a couple things that are time sensitive. The Merchant Risk Council conference in Vegas starts March 7th, and I know a lot of you are attending. For those of you who are not able to attend and who probably will have some significant FOMO, and I can relate, I wasn't able to attend the last event in August. I know a lot of people weren't, but some were, and I was getting text messages on a regular basis from friends that were there, sometimes while I was asleep because they were out partying and I had significant FOMO. So while I'm there, I'm going to be doing my best to 
post quite a bit on LinkedIn, kind of as a woman on the street for the MRC. They have asked me to do videos. We'll see. I'm not as comfortable with that as I am just posting words, but I'm going to do my best to keep everyone in the loop as to the topics of conversation being had and some of the good session content I'm able to catch as well as some of the people on the floor that I'm able to learn from. So if you are attending MRC, I'm speaking with Prove on Tuesday, March 8th at 4 p.m. And we're talking about just the importance of identity linked to the phone device and just how how it can help with fraud prevention as well as actually increasing customer sales. So it's an interesting topic that I'm excited to actually speak with Marianne Miller of Prove. She is someone who I have long looked up to in my career in fraud. And so I'm kind of geeky, geekingly, if that's a word, excited about speaking with Marianne and getting to share that information with everyone there. I'm also hosting an event on Tuesday night. If you are a merchant, let me know. I don't know if it's exclusive to merchants only, but I just, I'm co-hosting it. So I don't know what the parameters are. I do know it's a limited list, but get in touch with me if you want more information on that. And then lastly, on the note of MRC, Ravlin, our current sponsor of Fraudology, is providing a secret phrase to me in an ad on this episode. So be sure to be listening to the ad on this episode as well as all other episodes right now up until the week after MRC where we'll share the secret phrase so that you can go to their booth and collect a special, really a special gift that only Fraudology listeners will receive. I actually don't know what it is, but I think even if it's like a mug, I don't think it is. But even if it's something small, it's still something really fun that only you get if you listen to the podcast. But I am sure that it'll be something worth stopping by and learning a little bit about them as well. Lastly, not MRC related, but I just kind of wanted to start putting, letting you guys know that I am really excited that there's a new fraud analysis book coming out in April. It'll be published by O'Reilly Publishing. I think I mentioned it in my interview with Gary Novello Jr., but Shoshana Marini and Galit Saptora have worked for the last 20 months on this book, and I am just so proud of them, and I knew they would do an incredible job. And I am really excited because this is one of the first books really focused on e-commerce and fintech fraud fighting, and you can pre-order from practicalfraudprevention.com. That is the website. I'll try to remember to put it in the show notes. It is available for pre-order. It will be out in April. If you are attending MRC, Shoshana will be there talking about the book in a session. I'm going to be having both of the authors on the podcast when the book is released and we'll get to share the story about how the book came about, which I'm really proud to be a small part of. So anyway, that is a lot more housekeeping than I usually try to do in an episode, but there's just a lot to pack in. So let's start back where go back to kind of where I started on this episode. And we're going to be looking at the impacts of fraud and what I'm hearing about right away and what I expect to see going forward, specifically with all the sanctions being put on Russia, Russian companies, Russian oligarchs, Russian banks, etc. It was just announced within the last couple of days that the SWIFT payment processing system, which is more of a messaging system than actual banking system, but it's what the banks use uh, to know that a wire is coming in and they do their detective work to determine who's it coming from, et cetera, that 
that is included Russia. And I know for any of you that are in banking, this is really hard. Sanctions are really hard, especially when you're looking at a company that's based in Panama, but really it's owned by someone in Russia. Those type of things um, take time. And so especially for international wires, there will probably be more time. It'll probably take longer for them to go through. And it's just, it's a lot. I remember the sanctions on Russia because of the, due to the annexation of Crimea and in 2014 and the impact those had on fraud and the biggest impact that we saw on fraud back then, and we're already seeing it now, is on digital assets. So whether that's e-gift cards, whether for big brands, whether that's crypto, it can be peer-to-peer lend or peer-to-peer money transferring, money lending, anything that gets money quickly digitally is going to be targets of Russian-based fraudsters, so to speak, or bad actors in Russia, because quite frankly, a lot of their money sources have been shut down. And so They're going to be looking for other ways to bring in an income. And unfortunately, a lot of U.S. companies are often the targets, though there are European companies as well that will be targeted too. In the last week, I've heard from multiple retailers who have specifically seen account takeover tactics being used on their site grossly really high. Like it just, if you were to see this, if you were to see their ATO attempts on a graph, it would be kind of consistent and then a giant spike starting around February 20 or 21. And the IPs are bouncing around and all that. There are proxies being used and VPNs used. So there you can't specifically track it to Russian devices and locations because of proxies and emulators, but the timing seems rather suspicious. So why are they choosing to go account takeovers? Well, those are the easiest things to do. Credentials are out there so easily in open spaces, or there are there are also organized crime groups that have created databases of usernames and passwords. There's also malware that is pretty freely available all over attached to phishing emails or social media, et cetera. And once something is downloaded onto an infected device, then you're able to, or the host of the malware is able to see any time that infected device is logging into a company and it takes everything about the session data, not just username and password, but everything from the browser language, even to what type of antivirus they have on the computer. I actually just got to see this this morning with my client Q6. I introduced them to a large merchant that actually was having a threat from that area of the world. And so we had a conversation with them about the specific threat that was happening to them, as well as malware that Q6 was seeing that was targeting this specific merchant. And it's definitely... Unfortunately, the malware is often based in Eastern Europe, and so these are tools in their toolbox. And it makes it really hard for you as a merchant or a fintech to identify it, because especially since the session data is downloaded and all of the JavaScript, et cetera, it's showing everything needed to put into an emulator. Lincoln Sphere is one of the most prolific emulators where it's just so easy to use, but there are several different options where the person who has all of that information from malware can just put it into an emulator and the emulator will make it look very much like the good user that continually accesses their account on your site. So 
the device will look almost the same. And that often looks like friendly fraud, but is actually account takeover. So something to be aware of. If you are not familiar with that at all, I did have Ellie Dominance on the podcast. I'm trying to remember if I wrote down the episode number, but it was, I think, in 2020 talking about this uh, specific malware emulator. So I'll try to remember to put that in the show notes. Uh, you can also just search within the podcast feed for Ellie, E-L-I. There were two of them, but Ellie Dominance is the one that's talking about this. So that's something to be aware of. They're, they're targeting anything that's resellable, digital delivery items, even in gaming, all of those things. But the biggest companies that have contacted me so far anyway seem to be traditional retail that have electronic gift cards. And they're seeing their user accounts be accessed using the card on file to purchase large dollar e-gift cards. They are, when they were caught for e-gift cards, they were trying to do some other things, but for the most part, it looks like the targeting is of anything digital. Also, one of the reasons why they're doing ETOs is because, like I said, it's easier to get than fulls or credit card. There's just so much uh, username and passwords out there. And then on top of that, Eastern Europe is well known for this malware. We're also seeing the usual stuff within the bigger scope of fraud as far as charities being created. So make sure as a consumer that you're doing your research on that as much as you possibly can. I know that crowdfunding sites are a huge target right now to set up fraudulent charities and organizations to profit from people wanting to help those needing help in Ukraine and surrounding areas. And uh, I noticed that crowdfunding sites have several of them have put a three to four day hold on any new accounts wanting to open up quickly for Ukrainian relief. This is a challenge, obviously, for legitimate charities, but it has to be done for them to be able to really complete the Know Your Customer process as much as they can. I mean, I know they're doing everything they can to make it quick, but to add some time in there can help a lot as far as fraud prevention, as you all know. So those are all just things to keep aware of, especially just with you know, as, as you're looking at your activity on your site, keep an eye out for account takeovers, targeting digital devices on the stored card. There are different things you can deploy to try to prevent those, but they vary based on company and, and other things. But Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology. And one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe. Without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. 
But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. That is something to be aware of. The next story I wanted to talk about is the latest con woman or scammer or whatever we're calling them these days to get notoriety and fame. Danielle Miller was featured in an article uh, for the New Yorker Intelligencer by author Gabrielle Bluestone. I've mentioned Gabrielle Bluestone before. I am a fan of her work. I have not finished reading her book Hype, but it's all about the scam culture of these days, especially with social media, and really encompasses all of these people, whether it's Simon Leviev, the otherwise known as the Tinder swindler, or Anna Delvey from the Netflix movie Inventing Anna, which, by the way, I was reminded this week that there's also a uh, Generation Hustle episode, which is a docuseries on HBO that I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago. There is a Generation Hustle episode about Anna Delvey that shows another side of, or just a little more information that isn't as dramatized as the Shonda Rhimes version, although I enjoyed it from an entertainment value. I've heard that the docuseries, that episode has some other context and information. And I mentioned it on last week's, th or last Thursday's episode, but Netflix has their own podcast called You Won't Believe This or something like that. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. And just look up Netflix podcast. I'm sure you'll find it. And there's three episodes of The Making of the Swindler. And it had a lot of extra information as far as what he was up to beforehand, what his, how his de real dad was involved in his crimes, etc. I talked about them on last Thursday's episode, but if you have three hours to listen to another podcast, I recommend it. It was fascinating. I listened to it very quickly as I was walking my dog and doing other menial tasks around the house over a couple of days. But let's talk a little bit about Danielle Miller because her crimes and preferred fraud methods are a lot more consistent with what a lot of you listening to this podcast are used to seeing. And we don't always get to know the real name and life about people committing fraud online. And so I think it's fascinating. I will include this article, a link to this article in the show notes, but just kind of an overview. Danielle Miller started out in card fraud and identity theft, but kind of small stuff. And the article talks about really hard event that she went through in her early teens that in her perspective was the reason why she always wanted to be someone else when she got older. And she says this is why she turned to identity theft. I have my own conflicting thoughts about that more so because oftentimes someone who commits identity theft is not actually taking on the identity of their victim. They're just using their credentials to make purchases. But I think what she also meant by that was living a very lavish lifestyle in luxury hotels and buying, you know, tens of thousand dollar handbags and designer items and all of that on stolen credit cards. 
She was arrested a few times, which is rare for carters and fraudsters. But one of the times she was arrested was in 2018, and she was sent to Rikers, and she ended up sharing a cell with Anna Delvey from Inventing Anna. And she actually talks about how Anna helped her kind of understand the ropes within Rikers. And I think birds of a feather, as they say, flock together. I think this is one of those situations where they really kind of connected with each other because they weren't in there for violent offenses, and so they needed to have a group of them together and and they became friends with a few people that were there for similar financial crimes and they all learned from each other and shared information she also ended up meeting a more experienced carter and identity theft or identity thief while there her name was sierra blast b-l-a-s uh once released Danielle Miller was back to financial fraud and now with more training and knowledge. She targeted primarily online and in-store retailers, especially for luxury goods with stolen credit cards. Once COVID-19 hit, she and her accomplice from Rikers, Sierra Blass, as I mentioned, moved from New York City to Miami because Miami was more open. They could commit more credit card fraud that way. I think a lot of people who live in Miami or anywhere on the southeast know that Miami is often known for financial fraud and, and a big hub there for credit card fraud. I've known Secret Service that have been based there, FBI agents that have been based there, and they have definitely said that there is a lot of activity coming out of there. So they went down there during COVID-19 and committed a lot more theft down there. They also filed for fraudulent PPP loans with stolen IDs and PII. I believe they applied for 10 or 11 loans, four of which were approved. And between the two of them, they had around a million dollars deposited into their bank accounts. While also while using the IDs, they were targeting for other fraud. So including getting in, uh, one time they went into an AT&T store, both of them did, uh, to SIM swap a target's phone. So if you're not familiar... Sim swapping, and I've talked about this before, is when a bad actor will contact the phone company of the cell phone number that's registered to the victim and ask to swap it to another provider. That happens almost instantaneously. And that way, when they do an additional target, especially financial institutions, and the financial institution reaches out to the victim with a one-time password or to verify that they made this purchase or this withdrawal, then the ID theft will actually be the one replying because they have control over the phone number of the victim. In this case, they went to AT&T to SIM swap for a specific victim. They then drove to a, I guess I, I don't need to say the name of the bank, but just a local bank and went to withdrawal, I think $8,000, and they received the one-time password. They confirmed it, but their downfall was that the victim had a backup phone number on file with their bank, which is highly recommended, and the bank contacted both phone numbers. So once the target knew what had happened, they contacted their bank. The bank called 911, and Danielle Miller and Sierra Blass were there, and so they were taken into custody. So that is that's a great thing right it's a good story of a consumer taking a little more responsibility than average in making sure or or that could be the bank's policy but whatever it is they were able to get a heads up on that and stop the theft from happening which is 
always a good thing when that happens. Unfortunately, rare, but I think we should always celebrate when that happens. <laughs> so I wanted to read an excerpt of this article. Actually, really, it's interesting to me that Danielle Miller participated in this interview. Of course, she denied a lot of the accusations from people that were also interviewed for this story, but she wanted to be involved and tout her own, to her own horn. She actually bragged about being a con artist and said that she was very proud of that. So there's definitely probably some narcissism and maybe some cognitive dissonance going on. I am not a psychiatrist. This is just my armchair perspective. But she also talks about how she did it and how she did it PPP loan as well as how she's been learning about it. And this is something I've talked about over the last couple of years, but I think to hear it in their own words is pretty impactful. So I'll start here. Authorities say Miller applied for at least 10 loans from the Small Business Association, including economic injury disaster loans, which in short is known as EIDL using a mix of stolen identities. Some of them were from the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles, which she is accused of hacking into to steal the identities of 27 people. Several of the loan applications were denied as potentially fraudulent, but on July 21st, 2020, the government deposited $124,900 into a bank account Miller is accused of opening in another person's name. Over the next eight months, authorities say she was given another four loans totaling nearly a million dollars. She is also accused of using a stolen identity to defraud the state of Arizona for $6,200 in unemployment benefits. Scammers tend to move from one score to the next, Miller says, riding each opportunity like a wave. And COVID was a huge wave, she said. When asked how she learned about waves and how scamming works, Miller made it sound easy. I literally just researched it on the internet. It was very readily available to me. No one taught me it. I just overheard some things while I was in Rikers Island. And then I read everything on Telegram. Telegram is really where they talk about a lot of illegal shit. Using Telegram groups, she soon found websites where personal information is freely available. Once, just for fun, she tried to see if she could get Warren Buffett's social security number. She found it in no time. Could anyone learn to scam? And then this is what she said in quotations. You can literally go to a .com website. You don't even need to go to the dark web. You don't need a Tor browser. You don't need any of those things. You can go on Telegram and join a group of scammers, and they're all just bragging and sending pictures. You just put in the search for whatever you're interested in. So say it's SBA loans. You type in E-I-D-L or just SBA, and then there's a bunch of chats of people selling SBA information. It's really right at your effing fingertips, she says. Thanks perhaps to the SBA loans, Miller posted her Chanel, Gucci, and Prada outfits on Instagram. Remember, those may not have come directly from the luxury retailers. There are a lot of stores that resell them. That is why I am saying their names, because it may or may not have come directly from them. It may have also come from specialty retailers that have those luxury brands. So she posted them on Instagram. She booked seats on private jets from Miami to Los Angeles, where she spent $5,500 at Petite Emertage, the authorities say, and dined at the, I probably said that wrong, sorry, and dined at the Beverly Hills Hotel. She posted videos of herself driving a Rolls Royce convertible down Palm Line streets. Back in Miami, she rented an all-white apartment with marble everywhere in the luxury icon building, allegedly under one of her victims' names. Although she insists that she paid for her Miami lifestyle with her own money, 
She's open about her knowledge of and status within the world of scams. Literally everyone wants to work with me, Miller says. I'm so sought after, it's insanity. My Instagram account from me being locked up has thousands, thousands of DMs asking me what my telegram name is to work with me. Thousands. And then it goes on to talk about another time she's arrested, which is fairly funny. She'd just gotten out of, well, not just, but she had recently had plastic surgery and was very concerned that the effects of the surgery would be damaged when she was arrested and went to jail. So anyway, those are just juicy tidbits if you read the article. But the reason I picked that portion of the article was just to highlight how much private messaging systems have changed the game of fraud. I have feel like I've said this like a broken record, but I cannot emphasize it enough that while you used to need a Tor browser, now you can access this information on Telegram, Discord, Reddit, etc. There are a lot of private groups. There are a lot of the more sophisticated, how do you specifically target X merchant you have to be invited into, but there are enough publicly available groups, especially on Telegram, that's what I'm most familiar with, where you can read and kind of be a, um, a lurker, which I do on a very regular basis. And it really helps me be in touch with what's going on. And oftentimes when I'm talking to a merchant and they're sharing with me something new that they're seeing, whether it's refund fraud, loyalty fraud, uh, new account fraud, all kinds of fraud, whether it's fintech or e-commerce, usually I can match it in my head with something I've read previously on Telegram and know exactly what's happening. So that's been a very helpful tool to me, both in consulting as well as in just being a resource in the industry. And I think it's something that can be helpful. I know a lot of people are hesitant on using Telegram and rightfully so, but you can set up an anonymous post and an anonymous account. And I just suggest lurking and not posting anything, not typing anything in because that will be recorded. But the one thing people can see is the other groups you're in if they want to check you out. But usually a lot of these groups have 20, 30, 40,000 members in it. So they're just not going to know who's in it. So the, that's my advice. Obviously do what you are required to do within your company's guidelines and on your company's network. But a Telegram is a really great service that a lot of legitimate people use, but it is also used in this way, just as WhatsApp is or Reddit or anything else. So Telegram itself is not a bad service. It's just been used in this way. And also because of fraud as a service, because there's so many people offering to really do everything for you. Uh, you don't have to, the people committing fraud these days don't have to be an expert. It's very easy for them to learn. I mean, honestly, if you spend a day or two in Telegram, you can feel pretty confident that you'll know how to do things. You might need to buy a proxy IP from this vendor and you might need to buy carding information or account takeover credentials from somebody else. You might need a drop address from another person, but you can do it pretty easily, which is really frustrating for those of us fighting the good fight. But at the same time, it's so important to know what resources they have available and just how simple it is so that we can try to make it not as simple. Ultimately, at the end of the day, our goal as fraud fighters is just to make it cost too much time and too much money for bad actors to take advantage of our companies. Hopefully one day, in our lifetimes, we'll be able to see 
more of an impact than just that. And I know that's something that John Mattis and I talked about on part one and part two of the podcast. But for now, it is essentially a game of whack-a-mole, but we are doing our best to try to make sure that it does just cost too much time and effort and money for them and that they move on. So as I suspected, I am going to leave it here. I will talk about refund fraud as well as probably some BNPL fraud questions that I've had recently from listeners on next week's episode. Uh, remember, if you're going to be at the MRC, let me know or keep your eyes out for me and come say hi and make sure you stop by the Ravelin booth to say the secret phrase that you probably heard on an ad on this episode and get your special gift. And again, my thoughts are with Ukraine and with all of my listeners worldwide. I hope that you are safe. I hope that you feel invigorated in fighting the good fight as you listen to this podcast, that you find it helpful and interesting. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.